All right, let's go to uh, John chapter 4. This is a very the, a long passage, and uh, we, uh, we will read from verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the, the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, that is John the Baptist. Although, in fact, he, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Remember from the last three chapters, we, we, uh, we learned that Jesus went to, to Jerusalem, to the temple, to celebrate the Passover. So a few days after that, he decided to go back to Galilee. Now, verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. There is an interesting uh, statement that, they, that the, the writer John put it there. Because any devout uh, Jew, when they go from, from uh, Jerusalem to, 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 uh, to Galilee, from Judea or Jerusalem to Galilee, Samaria geographically lays between Jerusalem and Galilee. But any devout Jewish Jew would not go to the village of Samaria. They would actually go across the Sea of Galilee to the east and then go up north and then cross back to the west to Galilee because they would not go just go through Samaria because they consider Samaria is an unclean place and they look down on the Samaritans. But here it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, which indicates that Jesus is being led by the Spirit. Remember, we, we read in, in, in uh, chapter 2 how Jesus did everything according to divine agenda. Everything he does is like because of the time, because of this. So everything Jesus did is always being led by the Holy Spirit. So this one is one of them. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sika, near the, the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was in the afternoon. It is really interesting, in the chapter 1, we, would, we learn how Jesus, God, became a man. And so we're trying to, to, to talk about what this God became a man like. And yet now we see he experienced the human dilemma, being weary and tired. So, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples at this time had gone into the town to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me a drink? For Jews does not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If he knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said. I, I picked the sort of almost cynical sort of tone. Sir, you have nothing to draw water, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from, from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Then Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I, gave, I give, 
I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of waters welling up, water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, So give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. As a matter of fact, you have had five husbands, and the one you, have, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. In other words, you're telling me the truth. So the woman said, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet, or I perceive you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Let's just jump to, uh, to verse 25 because there's a theological discussion there which I will not focus on. Um, then the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I want you to, to uh, I want to pause this. That is a very interesting statement, unusual statement coming out of Jesus because in most stories in the Gospels, Jesus will not conceal, uh, he, Jesus always conceals his identity. As a matter of fact, when Peter confessed in Matthew chapter 16, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, great, you know, the Father in heaven has revealed, revealed that to you. And then it says, Jesus told them not to say anything about it to anybody. And many times Jesus would, would perform a miracle. Jesus said, just be quiet. But to this woman, he actually revealed who really is. Interesting. Then leaving her water jar, in verse 28, oh, sorry, verse 27, uh, then the disciples returned where and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. <laughs> because no rabbi would talk. It's not cool for a rabbi to talk alone with a woman. Especially a Samaritan woman. <laughs> but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? So it's like there's an elephant in the room. You know? <laughs> so everybody kind of awkward, you know. Let's just not talk about it. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And of course, the disciples said, you know, did anybody get anything for him? <laughs> and Jesus said, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't you know, or don't you have, or don't you have a saying, it's still four months till harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a waste and harvests a crop for eternal life, 
so that the, sow the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reap, is true. I send you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. And then verse 39, many of the Samaritans from, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers, and they said to the woman, listen to this, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. It's a very, very powerful story. I, uh, the reason I jumped few verses is because of my focus this morning, because we've been talking about Jesus, so I, rather than getting into the, the doctrinal teaching, I want to pretty much present to you what can we learn about Jesus in this situation. I have titled my sermon, Jesus Knows How to Touch a Wounded Soul. I think it's good to, to look at uh, in the context that we, we've gone so far. So uh, we, we, dis, we, we were talking about if God became a man, how would he handle the general affairs of life? So in John chapter 2, when we learn about the first miracle, we, we learn how Jesus cares about every single need. But there are two there are things that we need to, to understand is that a point, okay, why was the first miracle in Cana? And we, our conclusion was because he was invited, right? <laughs> For no other reason, he was invited to the party. So he met their need when they were in need. And the second thing is because somebody stepped out in faith and asked him because, and presented the need. And those two points resulting in Jesus, number one, breaking the religious protocol just to meet people's needs. And number two, he whether he broke the, the divine appointment because he, a uh, divine agenda, because he said to, to Mary, when Mary presented the problem, he said, hey, my time's not here. However, somehow, within that divine agenda, he still made a way to meet people's needs. Because somebody invited him, and somebody expressed and reached out in faith. And the second thing we know about Jesus is that he was passionate about his house what his house is supposed to look like. And I think we need to ask ourselves, if Jesus is passionate about his house, shouldn't we, his followers, be passionate about his house too? And then John chapter 3, we learn how Jesus handled people from a different group, a group that is sort of antagonistic towards him. How he approached the conversation with People like that. And we see in the conversation between Jesus and uh, Nicodemus, he didn't stereotype the person. He responded to the hunger of that person, even though that person came from a group that, that is totally against him. He didn't hold any punches, but respectfully yet bluntly gave the truth. So having that we know Jesus is God, became a man. He knows what's in the heart of man. That's what the Bible says, previous passages says. So 
go back to our, our passage. Like I said, he, go, he went to, uh, on the way to uh, Galilee, following a divine agenda, he went through Samaria and had uh, an encounter with this woman. He sat by the well, and obviously he was tired, needing some water, so he asked this, this lady, a Samaritan woman, give me something to drink. Now here's the, the scene that I think we need to, to really look carefully, right? Here's the Son of God who a few days ago turned water into wine when people ran out of wine. Now find himself tired and thirsty. A Samaritan woman came along by herself to the well, which is unusual. Normally they would come in a group. A woman, it's not a usual thing for a woman to come to the well by herself. And in the afternoon, so, he, so the woman came to him, and being a rabbi, why would a rabbi engage himself in a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman, who is alone, and according to the story, a sinner, had five husbands, and living in sin with another man. What would we do when we're confronted with people like that? How do we view people in that situation? I think we need to learn from this story. Why would the Son of God bring himself so low just because he was thirsty? After all, he turned water into wine. He could create it water for himself, right? Why would you bring yourself, Jesus, you are the miracle working person. You could turn, you can create your own water. As a matter of fact, if you really are God, eternal God, becoming man, you fed your own people in the wilderness with water coming out of the rock twice. And there are hundreds of thousands of people. Now you're thirsty, you can't do anything. You have to bring yourself lower so long to talk to an unclean tribe, the Samaritan woman. And reading this story, it's like it seems like the Samaritan woman has you know has more sense. Because she asked Jesus, You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, how come you ask me for, for a glass of water? To read, Jesus begins to get to what he really was there for. When the woman gave that remark, Jesus seemed to sort of kind of ignore the remark and just cut straight to the chase. If he knew the gift of God, he's not answering her question, he just said, almost ignore her remark, and he said, if you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Interesting, huh? Then the woman, like I said, gave this sort of cynical response, like, sir, you got nothing to draw water. Come on. How are you going to get this living water? And he said, are you greater than our father who actually made this world? Are you better than him, Jacob? Not only that, he only not dug this well 
he also drank from it, and his sons, and his livestock. So, sticking to the point in verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give, I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So by implication, first Jesus is pre- presenting himself as greater than Jacob because he's offering something that is more superior than what's that's what's contained in the well. I'm giving you a different kind of water. And the, the other thing is Jesus used the metaphor water as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And actually this, that statement of Jesus about rivers of living water is also found in uh, John chapter 7 verse 38. And Jesus said, he who believes in me, from him shall flow rivers of living water. And then the, the writer said, this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit which was to come to the believers which they did not yet receive because Jesus was not yet glorified or was not yet, yet raised from the dead. So Jesus was speaking something futuristic, which is the fulfillment of the prophecy prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah 58. So in saying, that, in saying that Jesus triggered the right kind of thirst in her, and because Jesus did that, he got the right response from, from her. And she said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So Jesus got the result. He, he triggered that, that, that hunger and thirst, right thirst, and that woman responded, as one that is thirsty for the, ki- the, the right kind of water. And of course, you know, you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6? He said, blessed are those who thirst, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. God always responds to hungry hearts. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. You notice Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are righteous. <laughs> but he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I reckon nothing stirs God's heart but hungry hearts. I believe that. So, as soon as Jesus, she responded that way, then Jesus, in verse 16, Jesus said, go, call your husband and come back. And then she responded, I have no husband. And then Jesus said, you're right. You say you have no husband. You're telling me the truth. And as a matter of fact, you've had five of them and the one you're living now is not your husband. Why did Jesus tell her to call her husband? This is why, okay, right now, I believe this is what 
we the Pentecostals believe Jesus was moving in the gift of the Holy Spirit called the word of knowledge. It's like the word of knowledge is when, when, when you receive something from the Holy Spirit concerning someone's situation that you don't know previously, you know nothing about, and the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. However, Jesus received the word of knowledge not to expose her, but to provide a safe passage for her to be true about herself. It's powerful. The result was amazing because Jesus told her to, to go and call her husband. Instead of calling her husband, whoever meant, she called the whole village to come to Jesus. Isn't that powerful? Jesus only asked to call the husband. She called the whole village. Whew. Something must have happened in her. Crazy. And as they come, then the disciples also came. Obviously awkward seeing their rabbi. They normally talk to Jesus, you know, on a sort of candid way. But this time they said, Rabbi, as if to remind Jesus, you're a rabbi. You're talking to a woman. A Samaritan woman. And then Jesus diverted their attention. He said, look, you, you think the harvest, you're waiting for revival, for harvest, for whatever you pray for, it's right there. You just need to know how to tap into their hearts. I think that's the object lesson Jesus tried to give to the disciples. You just need to know how to tap into their hearts. It is harvest, you know why? Because those guys came to Jesus and they said to the woman, in the beginning we believed your story, but now it's no longer your story. We believe in him. We believe in him. It's a powerful story. Let's all say this after me. Behind every person, come on, there's a story. Behind this woman, there's a story. She, like we read, she came by herself. At the outside hours where people would go to the well. Why? Obviously, she was living in sin, having five husbands, failed. Can you imagine just... One person, one marriage fell, the, the trauma, the, the disappointment, all packaged in this one thing called divorce, failure in marriage. And she had five of them. Can you imagine to go to the next marriage, maybe this one was going to be good, maybe the next one's going to be good, and fail and fail to the point that she was living with one that, is, that she's not married. Maybe she said, this time... I don't know whether I want to commit myself to this kind of relationship. Let's just try. And the world is filled with that kind of decisions. Let's just try. I don't want to be committed to anything. So she came to, to the well 
by herself, and then nobody's there. She, said, she probably made sure no one's going to be there. So she walked into the well, thinking, this is safe. Oh, no. A rabbi is here. A man is here. And he's a Jew. <laughs> a rabbi. Can you imagine the fear, the anxiety that, that she would experience and she walked in carrying this story, baggage of disappointment stories. The lesson that I learned here, Jesus used his prophetic insight not to expose her. Neither, or because I've heard from the Holy Spirit, let me tell you this, this is your story. Boom, 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 boom. No, no, no. Jesus create a safe environment for her to tell her own story. So many times we think we are prophetic, we can hear the voice of God. Great! That's not enough. That is not to use to people to tell their story. It's to make a safe environment and passage so people feel safe to tell their story to you. And then you probably, probably somehow Maybe the Holy Spirit can trust us to unlock them further. Because that's all Jesus did. The, the order, call your husband, is just a trigger. And when Jesus saw the honesty of that woman, he unlocked her. And it's really interesting. I pointed out how Jesus made an unusual statement when the woman talked about Messiah, Jesus said, I am the Messiah. Can you see the pattern here? As the woman was open about himself, Jesus also opened about himself. Whereas Jesus wouldn't do that with any other people. I think this message is very, very good for that DMS. Because when you learn to prophesy, you know what it means to hear the voice of God. It should be something that will make, you easy, make, make it easy for you to provide a safe environment when you talk to people. Not to tell them their story, but to make them feel safe to tell their story themselves. To open the door. And that's what Jesus did with the woman. He made her feel totally safe to her story. Let's all stand up. Let's sing that song, beautiful old song. Simple yet profound. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Lord. Isn't Jesus good? Come on, guys. If Jesus, the Son of God, it was almost like he, like I said, why didn't he just create water himself? He, he is within his capability. But to that extent, he was trying to reach down to a wounded soul and to Draw, not to tell, not to minister into, but to draw from this wounded soul 
Many people have stories, like I said. Behind every person, there's a story. And people with all kinds of stories, they would love to be able to tell someone else that story. But in many cases, like that woman, they wouldn't feel safe. And sadly enough, in many, many cases, Christians will be the last people they, they will turn to because we are judgmental. That's how they see us. So this passage that we just read is not a strategy for evangelism. I'm going to tell you this. It's just a way of, hey, let's just be a disciple of Jesus that when we talk to people, people feel saved, people don't feel judged by us. They feel like they can tell their story because we will listen. Because those people are not our ministerial object. <laughs> we have to be careful in that. Yes, of course, we want people to come to Jesus. But they need to feel the Jesus in us. They need to feel it. Well, I ask that somehow that the Holy Spirit will do a mighty work in our hearts. Like your word says, we cry for revival, we cry for the harvest. But it's, it's going to start from us knowing what it means to touch people deepest need in their souls by being like you, Jesus. I pray that the Holy Spirit will enlarge our hearts, Lord, as your people, as your disciples, enlarge our hearts that when we see people, Lord Jesus, we see, see them through your eyes. We are, many times we are so caught up with our religious protocols and all this stuff, Lord. Yes, you, you don't tolerate those things, but Lord, we, we, we fail to see them the way Jesus sees them. I pray for a change of heart in us, all of us, Lord, where people come and they feel safe to tell their stories. From a sad stories can become a redemption story.